really why we're here or what purpose we have. And we touched on it a little bit in the men's Sunday school class, taking care of our responsibilities. Um, You know, there's a lot of things we can't change, but what can I take care of? What can I do something about? And it is easy for us to think, well, I wish someone would do something about this and wish someone... And we've been talking through the church series on, in part, the last week or two about working together as a team. And as a team, if everyone focused on improving themselves, that would improve the team. And, and that's a pretty basic thing to do, to just, okay, the one thing I can handle, I can work to improve myself. And if, if I did that and no one else did it, it still would help the team be a better team. But if I did that and everyone else on the team did that, it would really make the team a better team. And spiritually speaking, we need to, to take a, a focus at where we are And there are certain things that it is easy for us to be tempted into, to be drawn away, to be distracted. And in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, he says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And um, tonight I just want to go over um, some things that I really see as areas that we need to guard our hearts in. In order to be better team members, in order to be what God's called us to be, um, guarding my heart does not mean protecting myself from being hurt. Because if you follow Christ, if you love, you will be hurt. That's, That's just part of it. There's no way you can insulate yourself in life from pain. Pain is a regular part of relationships in this broken world. And so it's not like I'm going to guard my heart and keep it from any pain. I'm going to keep it from any hurts. It's impossible. Um, Guarding my heart does not mean allowing no one access to my heart except God. It means keeping the first commandment, loving God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind, and it means loving others as well, the two great commandments that he gives us. But guarding our heart, there's many things that, and and we're going to list, Lord willing, ten of them tonight and not spend a lot of time on any of them but things that we have to be careful of. Not, not looking, oh, look, at they do this and they do this. What we have to be careful of. Number one, I just call it buffet Christianity. We pick and choose what we want about Christianity. We, it, it is easy for us to have certain things that this is what we pick. I really, I really stand on this. 
I'm really a firm believer in this. But then it's easy to overlook other things. Do we take the whole counsel of God? And this may be our our pet doctrine, but there are other doctrines that maybe hit home to us and it's easy for us to overlook. We need to we need to understand it's the whole counsel of God. It's not I'm going to go through the buffet line and pick what I want about Christianity. I mean, let's face it, none of us would pick pain and suffering, but that's a very real part of of being a follower of Christ, and um, it's a very real part of Him manifesting Himself to us. We need to be careful and guard our hearts against excusing sin. It is easy for us to minimize our sin. Well, I may have got a little upset. A little upset, really? Or, you know, it's easy for us to to be very merciful to us and very understanding to us, but not so much to others. Or sometimes we excuse sin in others. Well, that's just the way they are. Well, it's still sin. I mean, it is very easy for us, again, it kind of comes off this buffet Christianity, to pick certain sins that those are those are off limits, but these it's easy to minimize. It's easy to say, "Well, I'm I'm working on it, not doing as good as I should." But and it's easy for us to excuse our sin. This is a holy God we're serving, and to stand before Him, we have no excuse. And we can't excuse sin. Number three, it's accepting status quo. Just, this is, this is where I am. There's no growth manifested. Um, it's kind of like the church that he wrote to in Revelation 3, the church at Laodicea. They said, we are rich, we are increased in goods, and we have need of nothing. Just... Hey, we're we're good. We're we're happy the way we are. This is how we are. And and accepting the status quo. No, we ought to have one thing about Apollos. He was a learner. They came along and said, No, that, that isn't quite right. He said, Well, teach me. I want to learn. I'm not content with where I'm at. I want to I want to grow. I want to be uh, more used of God. I want to know God more. It's, it's, um, it's almost like sometimes we may just be sitting and waiting for the Lord to return. We need to be redeeming the time because the days are evil. And, and not just, well, this is the way it is. And I guess we have to accept it. And part of that comes because, fourthly, we're not depending upon God. A lack of prayer is an evidence of not depending upon God. I mean, there's no other way of putting it. 
when there is a dependence upon God, then we pray. Then it's evidence that, God, I need you. Now think back in your life to the times that you've really been dependent upon God. And many of those times have been times of great need. Charles Spurgeon said, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without the wind, branches without the sap, and are like coals without fire. We are useless. And that ought to be our starting point. God, I am useless without you. God, I have got to have you today. I, I will blow this. I cannot do this. I can't do this job I've been doing for 40 years without you, God. I can't be the husband. I can't be the father. I can't be the grandfather, whatever it is. I can't. I cannot. God, I need you. It's too easy to get where we think we're doing it and we're doing it on our own and we're really not getting it done. We're not depending upon God. God loves to see His people dependent upon Him. Because then there's glory to God. It's God that did it. It's God that worked. Because I know me, and in and of myself, there would be nothing that would be done. It is God that did it. A lack of prayer shows that we're not depending on God. We need to guard our heart against a Lone Ranger mentality that I don't need others, that it's just me and God. Well, it begins you and God, and then God puts you in a church body, and he puts you in a family, and he puts you in a community, and he puts you in a nation, and he puts you in the world, and he intends you to interact with those, and he intends to use people to strengthen us, to stretch us, to expose us. And in understanding that, we need others. It's, it's not all about me. You know, many times it's easy for us to get the attitude that, well, if it doesn't benefit me, why should I mess with it? No, it's, it's not the, the Lone Ranger mentality. It's we are a team. We are to work together. We are to cover each other's backs. We are to strengthen and build up, and we've talked about that recently. Of course, we must, must guard our hearts against pride. We are not better than anyone else. English evangelist George Whitfield had a commitment in his heart to please God more than men. And when he knew that he was doing what God wanted him to do, it kept him from discouragement when he was often falsely accused by his enemies. But at one point in his ministry, Whitfield received a vicious letter accusing him of wrongdoing. His reply was brief and courteous. He wrote, I thank you heartily for your letter 
As for what you and my other enemies are saying against me, I know worse things about myself than you will ever say about me. With love in Christ, George Whitfield. Now, that's a humble spirit right there. And isn't that the truth? We all know worse things about ourselves than our worst enemy can ever, can ever say. And, and that is embracing a spirit of humility and, and understand, you know, we are not better than anyone else. It's the grace of God. Do we embrace humility? Do we embrace um, forgiveness? Do we embrace granting mercy? Do we embrace serving? The opportunity of, of um, humbling ourselves. Do we embrace seeking forgiveness? I was wrong. We must continually guard our heart against our own pride. Number seven is just a lack of love. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We've talked about 1 Corinthians 13. But let me, let me just ask you this. What did you do this last week that was specifically, on purpose, an act of love? That, that you did. I'm not talking buying flowers for someone. I'm talking, you know, on purpose, because I love them, I was long-suffering. I was forbearing. Because on purpose, I, I was conscious about it. Because I, I love God and I love them, I was kind to them when they didn't deserve the kindness. Or maybe they did, but you were, what specifically did you do? See, little specific steps of, of love. Specifically, on purpose, okay, God, who do you want me to send an encouragement card to this week? Incidentally, how many of you sent an encouragement card this last week? Or a text, or a message, or a phone call? Okay, see, we need to get, we're going to keep pesting. We need it. We need to encourage one another. Okay? And, and so that's a specific act of love that, Okay, God, who do you want me? I want to be an encouragement to someone. I want to, to have an act of love. That's just one little example. I, I read about an, an individual that manifested a, a supreme example of God's love transforming his life. And then it was manifested in his relationship with other. David Simmons was a former cornerback for the Dallas Cowboys. And his father was a military man, was extremely demanding. Rarely ever said a kind word to his son. And the father has decided that he would never permit his son to feel any satisfaction from his accomplishment, always reminding him that there were new goals ahead. When Dave was a little boy, his dad gave him a bicycle 
unassembled with the command that he put it together. After Dave struggled to the point of tears with the difficult instructions and the many parts, his father said, I knew you couldn't do it. Then he assembled it for him. When Dave played football in high school, his dad was unrelenting in his criticism. In the backyard, after every game, his dad would go over every play and point out David's heirs. Most boys, Dave said, had butterflies in their stomachs before the games. He said, I never had that. I had butterflies in my stomach after the game because I knew I would be facing my father. By the time he entered college, David hated his father and his harsh discipline, and he chose to play football at the school farthest from his home that offered him a scholarship, the University of Georgia. After college, he became the second-round draft pick of the St. Louis Cardinals. Their first pick was Joe Namath. They later traded him to the Jets. And he excitedly called his father to tell him the good news, that he was the second pick of the St. Louis Cardinals. And his father responded with, how does it feel to be second? Despite the hateful feelings that he had, For his father, during his college years, Christ came into his life, and it was God's love that made him turn his heart toward his father. During visits home, he would stimulate conversations with him and listen with interest to what his father had to say. He learned for the first time that his grandfather had been a a tough lumberjack known for his quick temper. Once he destroyed a pickup truck with a sledgehammer because it wouldn't start, and he often beat his son. This new awareness affected Dave dramatically. He said, knowing about my father's upbringing not only made me more sympathetic for him, but it helped me to see that under the circumstances, he might have done worse. He said, by the time he died, I can honestly say we were friends. That's something only the love of God in you can do. And the world is full of bitter, of people full of bitterness because whatever has happened in them, they have taken that and internalized it And it has never been transformed by the love of God. A lack of love. How do we manifest love? Who are we showing love to? Number eight, we need to guard against a critical spirit. God hates murmuring and complaining. You know, it's easy. It's easy to say, oh, that'll never work. We've never done it that way. We're doing just fine. Why do we need to change it? We can't afford it. We're not ready for it. It's not our responsibility. And those things just roll off us. A young musician's concert was poorly received by the critics. And the famous, a famous Finnish composer counseled the, the young musician by patting him on the shoulder and saying, Remember, son, 
There is no city in the world where they have a statute to a critic. Think about that. They never build a statute to a critic. You know, wouldn't that be, walk along, he sees, say, oh, I wonder what this is. This guy was the most critical person in the world, and we're honoring him today. You build statutes to people that got things done. You build statutes to people that didn't just complain about something, they did something. A young boy complained to his father that the, most of the church hymns were boring to him. And his father said, you think you can write better hymns? Then do it. So the boy went to his room, and the first hymn he wrote was, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. The year was 1690, and the teenage boy was Isaac Watts. We sing, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come, written by Isaac Watts. But he started out critical, and his dad said, You think you can write something better? Then go and do it. See, a critical spirit never gets anything done but killing. And and how important it is for us to understand um, that we have to guard our hearts. It's easy to just get a critical, cynical spirit, um, and we must be very, very careful. Number nine, no passion. You know, we, we often think in in the book of Revelation where he wrote to the church at Ephesus, and he said, I have something against you. You have left your first love. And, and it really wasn't that they quit loving Jesus. I just, I mean, because you read, he compliments them for things. But they had no passion. I mean, if you care about something, you ought to have a passion about it. It ought to be something that... What you really love, it's a passion for you. Abraham Lincoln said, when I go hear a, a man preach, I want to see someone that is, is like a man that is battling a thousand bees. In other words, he's saying, I want a man that has a passion. Not just dispensing information. What is it you're passionate about? I mean, and, and we all manifest passion in different ways but many people, there is no passion. There's, there's really nothing. God, God wants his people to be passionate. He says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as to the Lord and not to men. That's passion. He says in Ecclesiastes, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Because there is no glory in the grave. So if Ecclesiastes 9.10, so if this is something I'm supposed to do, put your whole heart into it. Wherever you are, be all there. I mean, this is where I am, so I'm going to be all here. It's going to have my passion and be passionate for God. Number 10, we must guard limiting God through unbelief. What do you want to see God do? 
A.W. Tozer said, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things that we can achieve by ourselves. What do you really want to see God do? How do you want to see God glorified in your life? What is it you you say, God, here am I. I, I just want you to be glorified through my life. Use it. Take me. Use me. I, I want to have an influence. He said in 1 Peter 4, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious-minded and watch unto prayer. Be serious-minded and be watching in your life and be praying, God, help me to not have a critical spirit and help me to not live this day without depending on you. And God, show me my pride so that I can, can put it off and embrace humility. And God, help me to manifest your love to those that you bring into my life. Some are lovely and others are not lovely, but Lord, help me to manifest your love And God, give me the passion of you that everything I do, I do it with all my heart as to you. You know, if every one of us would, and there are many other things as well, but if we just start out with these ten and really guard our heart and commit to that, do you know know how good this team could be? Do you know what God could do? We don't know. I has not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for them that love Him. And, and it, it's understanding. No, I am not content with status quo. I want to grow in Christ. I want to show more glory. I want to influence more people. I want to be used of God. But we must guard our heart. Does it mean there'll be pain? Yep. But God gives grace for it. And he said, because the end is at hand, let us be sober and watch. Guard these things and watch unto prayer. In just a moment, we're going to go to prayer and we'll invite you to um, come up here and pray. We want to take time to 